you know, what's really cool is when you do seasonal things, you meet people who are, you know, older, but you also meet people who are younger. And, and I think I've noticed with a lot of younger folks that I've met while out here in Ketchikan and elsewhere, uh, folks are looking in alternate directions. Um, I think when, you know, the, the two of us were in middle school and high school, the emphasis was always like, you need to go to college. Like if you go to college, you'll earn this much more and, and, the person that didn't go to college and that's just not true <laughs> uh you know things have changed since maybe the research showed that that was true but this is the seasonals podcast a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle we take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way I am here with Christian Desrochers. Hello. How's it going, buddy? It's going excellent. It's a good night. And you just finished watching the uh, the Avs season opener, right? Yes, I did. Nice 3-1 victory over the Wild. Yeah. Perfect. Division rivalry. You killed the bad guys. No offense to the folks from Minnesota, but I was happy to see them So you are, you've worked in Ketchikan this summer for Alaskan Travel Adventures. Yeah, Alaska Travel Adventures. It's, yeah, it's been a nice year. It's been fun. Yeah. Beautiful, sunny, 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 sunny Ketchikan. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to last summer, it's, it's been wonderful. And so what, uh, what's your job? entail over Alaskan travel adventures? Uh, this season, I have been guiding uh, pretty much the full gamut of tours that we offer. So I uh, started off the season doing our Rainforest Island Tour, uh, which is called like the, the hiking guide position. It's not really a hike. It's like a mile on boardwalk trail, a little bit of elevation gain. Um, and then I've been doing our canoe tour and our Jeep canoe tour. So basically tours that take folks out on Harriet uh, Hunt Lake and Take them out on native-style canoe for a little paddle. Uh, the Jeep tour takes them out on some logging roads. Uh, it's really fun, though. It's nice narrative-driven. So uh, it's kind of as somebody who loves being outside and loves being outdoors and, and loves being out in nature. Uh, it's cool having a job that kind of orients you towards learning about the environment around you and learning about the things that you look at when you're out in nature uh, and be able to explain it to people and, and teach other folks. So. It's very narrative-driven, so I kind of like the tours. And where are you from? Uh, Maine, originally. So coming from the East Coast to the Pacific Northwest, what are some of the big differences that you really enjoy about this forest system versus the one from your home? It's all the mosses, man. It's so luscious out here. Like, all the rain that we get, uh, now obviously it's being a rainforest, but all the rain that we get, it really creates... Um, a beautiful, um, just vividly green, so many different types of green too, but like just super green, beautiful forest and just so plush and, and full of all these mosses and lichens. And like, especially if you go out to some of the, like the islands off the coast, they just get so, um, so, (laughs) so ethereally, like it just feels like another world out here. You know, it's just a totally different environment on the East coast, much you know, we get a decent amount of precipitation, but it's, it's just so much drier, relative, relatively speaking. Jason took a picture. He, we just shared it on Instagram of me and Ryan, and we were out on a dock on Heckman Lake out in, like, the interior of the island. And I'm looking at it. It's in black and white, but I'm looking at it, and I have no clue what time of day it's been taken. And I realize, because he tells me, that it's in the moonlight and it because it looks i mean it's black and white but any i think he put you know uh was a time lapse or not a time lapse but let more light in but it's just it's there's a fog and the way the trees are and the way the reflection off the lake and it's i was taken aback at it and jason even said it's one of the best pictures he thinks he's ever taken but it's always crazy to me how often a scene like that shows itself here 
whether I'm just getting out of work at the bar and looking across the narrows or, you know, I'm hiking up deer and I look back down the trail and it's just, it like ether real is a great word for it. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. It's really easy when like, you know, thinking about like what my daily commute is to work. <laughs> it's, it's so easy to overlook it or like what you look out at every morning or, or whatever, but it's, um, I don't know. I I remember the first time I realized that the majority of human beings that live in cities, which is becoming increasingly more human beings on like relative to the number of human beings on this planet, uh, but the more human beings that live in cities who have never actually experienced like being able to just look at a, a sky full of stars, just because they've lived in the places with light pollution and have never spent their you know evenings outside of a city. And the first time I realized, I was like, holy shit that's crazy like it's crazy to me and living out here it's just everything's there you know, like you like you said you can be in the middle of downtown and look at whales out in the, the narrows or or the cool like fog and mist and cloud formations like streaking across gravina and, and Pennick and all those places it's it's really just a alaska is a one-of-a-kind kind of place it's really beautiful so this is your second summer up here, right? Uh, third season in Alaska, second season in Ketchikan. My first season was in Juneau five years ago. Okay. And uh, in Juneau, was that your first um, taste of the seasonal lifestyle? Yeah. Um, it was literally right after college. Um, I was just kind of looking to get out of Maine and knew I had six months until my student loans kicked in. Which college did you go to? Uh, University of Maine in Farmington. Okay. And uh, did you graduate with a degree? I did. Uh, European and Middle Eastern cultures and history, mostly anthropology and history. And so you went to you six months before your loans kicked in, and you are like, I'm going to Alaska. Yeah. Uh, I kind of settled up the fall of my senior year. Uh, I applied to a bunch of places. Only a single place contacted me. And that was Alaska Travel Adventures. Uh, so thankful for that. Uh, it was really cool, though. I like I wound up living with um, my two managers. They were a married couple from Wisconsin uh, who had actually lived in Ketchikan for five years previously and absolutely loved it here. And they always told me how much they loved it here. And... I kept in touch with them, and a few years later, down the road, when it was coming back to the point where I felt comfortable uh, kind of re-entering seasonal existence, I was mentioning that I wanted to go back to Alaska. Uh, they were both very very adamant that the place they should come back to is Catch Game. And I'm happy they did that because it's a beautiful place. Yeah, and we're definitely glad to have you here. And because as soon as you got here... I heard there was a guy on the island that was compiling a list of items that you should buy because we have three three grocery stores, and I was told, "Oh, this some new guy is making a list of which items you should buy at which grocery store to save you money." And I knew, well, actually, Ryan knew that we needed that information in our magazine, and so that's how we found you. And so now you've, you, we had you write in every issue of the magazine last summer and you've written again this summer. Tell me a little bit about, uh, the process that goes into you writing for us and how that's turned out. It's been really cool. Uh, I mean, the first time I've ever actually been published in anything, so it's always exciting. Uh, that first article, I specifically remember talking to Ryan about, uh, just kind of going and doing this sort of research. Uh, checking into various grocery stores, something I've done before, uh, like when I first moved to Richmond. And uh, a little easier there. All the stores are closer here. They're all further apart. Um, but I remember him, I, I had a few people mention, like, you should just, you know, share that with different people. So I started making copies for different people within the company. And then I remember Ryan was just like, you know, everybody needs to hear this. And that was kind of cool. I got Got me started with the seasonals. Um, I don't know, writing with the seasonals has been a very interesting experiment. Uh, I find like a few occasions I've been 
sort of put on the situation where I feel like I'm I'm putting myself in a on the wire by procrastinating, saying I'll have things done by the time I sh- I should and and procrastinate a little bit. But it's uh, I feel like it's not just you. <laughs> well, you know that's good to know, but it is. <laughs> and it's it's the editors too. Don't worry. Yeah, it um, but it's been good though. It's it's sort of got me back on track. I mean, writing last season was the first time I I'd really written in. And what Seth says, years and um, to going back to Italy or or going to Italy, I should say, uh, to get back to writing on a regular basis outside of the seasonals. But the seasonals has been the first time I've really written since college, so it's been a number of years. <laughs> and I hear you've met some fans of yours, some fans of your writing on the airplanes. Yeah, here and there. Uh, so I met um, Cindy, who works over at Burger Queen on the air f- um, my flight from Seattle to Ketchikan this past season. And it kind of popped up uh, the seasonals, and she mentioned the article I wrote about uh, going to the grocery stores, which was kind of cool. It was exciting. I mentioned that I was the person that wrote it. Um, and she shared the fact that she was, you know, it had some good information in there. So it was nice seeing that the... Uh, the effort was worth the reward as far as people getting to experience some good savings and hopefully support, realize that Safeway doesn't have all the answers and support some uh, local businesses. Yeah, I love anytime I can go to Tatsudo's instead of Safeway, I really try to. Yeah, they've got an interesting mix of like, with in general, they've got kind of a small selection, like AMP as far as local stores offers a really nice all round approach. But uh, Tatsudas does have a really wide variety of certain items, and it, it kind of takes you by surprise. Uh, if I remember right, last when I did the, the article on prices, like the one thing they really nailed was uh, sausages. They just had like, the best prices on sausages and a wide variety of them. I think food is your is your passion in a lot of ways because I've he- heard you talk about food in different ways. And um, but I think more than that, you do a great job of expressing how things can be enjoyed and maybe a little bit about like how they should be enjoyed because you do a great job linking the seasonal life to uh, the community that you find yourself in, um, the food sources going out there and foraging for them. And, you know, all there's all kinds of parts of your character that comes back to you enjoying things in such a great way. Where do you think you get that? That is tough to say, but I like to think that I, I get a lot of... Um a lot of characteristics from my Pepe, which would be my uh, grandfather and my on my dad's side, the French Canadian side. Um, which is funny because there's certain ways that he's very different than me. Like he lived uh, very frugally. I like to joke that like he was the person that could have like a a mustard and onion sandwich, which to me sounds absolutely disgusting. Like raw onion, not even Ugh. caramelized. Um, but in general, he had such a great appreciation for like good living and and when uh you know you talk to different people they always talk about him being the wife of the party um which isn't necessarily where i find myself like i'm i think i'm a little more low-key on the social scale but just in general like he had a pretty zesty appreciation for existence which i think i've uh inherited a little bit of so you, you've worked for ATA the last three summers? Roughly. Uh, well, so the, the first year was separated by, uh, unfortunately, many years of toiling away in the restaurants of Richmond, Virginia, uh, paying off my student loans. But for the last two summers and then five years ago, a summer as well. Okay. So you, you were in Juneau, took a couple years off to work, and then now you've been back up here for two years. And... What have you done in the winter seasons? Uh, well, so between Juneau and coming back to Ketchikan, uh, that was a very, very long winter, despite the frequent humidity and heat uh, increases in Virginia. We can view it all as being a winter of uh, slavery and restaurants, slowly paying off my student loans, just kind of 
you know, little by little, uh, just waiting tables. Um, and then as I kind of came to the end of that and was talking with, like I said, my old managers from Juno about, uh, kind of wanting to come back to Alaska and, and in my mind, I had this idea of going back to school, uh, getting a master's in urban planning and working my way to um, doing something involving the food system. You know, so kind of came to the point where I realized I was getting very close to paying off my student loans, set it up so I could come back out to Alaska, and I kind of got the option of where to work with ATA. They had a few different options for me. Told them I wanted to work in Ketchikan, took the dock managing position, um, wound up... Um, Coming out here and, and talking with Kelly, who is from the Seasonals, who suggested to me that I did not need to put myself back in the debt and go back into school in order to get to where I wanted to go, and, and thought about it and realized that um, there were better options. So last summer, or I apologize, last winter, I uh, went back to Richmond, worked for a few months, uh, really put in hours, kind of slave away in restaurants again, but... This time it was nice knowing that the money I was setting aside was eventually going to benefit myself. And I took myself out to Italy for a little over two months and, and did some farm work. Um, since eventually I do want to work in the food system and do agricultural or permacultural work. Uh, the idea is that I can travel around, get some experience, do work away and, and things like that. And, and, you know, labor for work exchange or, or just getting work. But at least get the experience and, and not feel like I have to go back into the cycles of debt and back into that idea that you have to, you know, go to school and follow this sort of um, neo-traditionalist view of how the life is supposed to go. Uh, you know, school, debt, work, debt, work, debt, and then you die. Right. And you're putting yourself into those situations or you're putting yourself into where you want to be to learn more about it by doing the workaways on a farm or getting into those situations where you're learning on the job in the field about procedures and what those people do. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of funny. I've been playing a lot of chess this summer and I think either this morning or yesterday I was thinking about, um, how chess is kind of reflective of existence. Like if you kind of play cool and you let other, you know, the person you're playing against kind of move around and you wait for opportunities and you have to like keep yourself in the place to be ready for those opportunities. But if you wait for those opportunities and then jump on them, it's always, you know, beneficial and, and, and you kind of find yourself, you know, winning a chess and, and winning a life when you are ready to just like take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. Uh, and, and that's kind of how it's been. Like once I felt kind of free from those cycles of debt and those cycles of being kind of caught into contracts and, and just the various things that kind of keep you on a, a typical life pattern, you know, the opportunities are out there. There's, there's ways of getting experience or ways of getting education that are available. And specifically with agriculture, if I went to school, it's like, A, they would be teaching me more along the lines of industrial agriculture, whether conventional or organic industrial mentality. Um, but also there's no point going into debt for something that you're not going to make money on, which let's be honest, like agriculture is not something I'm attending to become rich off of, but um, going to school to get in debt to then go do that would just be silly. I've done that once before <laughs> yeah it sounds like that formula is uh less and less interesting to you yeah and and i think um you know what's really cool is when you do seasonal things you meet people who are you know older but you also meet people who are younger and, and i think i've noticed with a lot of younger folks that i've met while out here in catch can and elsewhere uh folks are looking in alternate directions um i think when you know the, the two of us were in middle school and high school, the emphasis was always like, you need to go to college. Like if you go to college, you'll earn this much more. And, and the person that didn't go to college and, and that's just not true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, things have changed since maybe the research showed that that was true. But, um, I don't know. I think if people can keep themselves out of debt, the world is absolutely open to them. It's like cycles of debt that kind of keep you 
walked into feeling like you need to to keep uh you know what would be considered a traditional trajectory of existence and that's easier said than done because it's very easy for Oh, an advertiser or you know a loved one to try to get you to buy a house or buy a car or do something that gets you into debt and if that's what you want to do you can do it but a lot I feel like a lot of times a lot of people I've talked to they're dragging their heels going into it and then once it's done it's done and then they're on the other side of having done it and they're like I shouldn't have done this. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I've got a lot of friends who I feel like have been uh, kind of moving towards a similar progression. Uh, one thing I wrote about in the article that will be popping up online at some point with the seasonals on what seasonals have is just that sort of willingness to to recognize what they value. And I think it's really important for each person, you know, to look at what they, what they truly want. Um, you know, seasonal existence, travel and all the time, that's not necessarily what fits everybody. For some people, yeah, getting a house, getting a car, you know, following a more traditional lifestyle is perfectly acceptable. It's what they're comfortable with, and that's that's perfectly fine. But there's definitely enough people out there who who feel unsatisfied with that and need something a little more. You know, once you start to recognize that maybe that's where your your mind is at, maybe Maybe going to school immediately, you know, school's not going to run away. Don't feel like you have to jump into school immediately. Uh, a lot of other countries, especially over in Europe and most other first world countries, um, kids that get out of, you know, what we call high school don't immediately go into college. They they take a year off. They go and experience things. And granted, that is like something more available to the people who have the... the um, the funds to do so but i mean there is that capacity to to just kind of delay a little bit and look at where you where you are what you want and uh i think it starts young as far as you know getting into school and and getting you to fall into that cycle of falling into debt and i think if at a young age you can sort of resist that and recognize yeah you know a new car would be cool but you know, maybe four or five years on a lease or, or paying that off isn't necessarily worth it. So if you were 19 right now, knew everything you know, what would you do? Man, uh, well, first I would figure out the time machine that took me back to being 19 and take it back <laughs> to being uh, 18 <laughs> and not apply for college. Um, well, I'm not sure that's true, actually. I really enjoyed... Uh, college. I think it was a beneficial turn in my character. So 19-year-old me, uh, maybe take more time in the summer times of college instead of just kind of going in and working at restaurants uh, and, and just kind of working over the summers. Uh, I mean, if you're going to school, the best way to do it is to do a lot of internships and, and uh, applicable work during your summers, take advantage of that time, uh, take advantage of the internships that you can get, like really, you know, take advantage of the time that you're qualified as a student to do those things that get you ready for getting out of school. Cause that's really going to be beneficial and, and maybe travel more. Definitely. Travel <laughs> Definitely more. travel more. Definitely travel. more. <laughs> so, or, or drop out of school and travel more. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of your, it sounds like a lot of your decisions, uh, come back to a central um, belief. It sounds like um, your want to travel, your want to write about it, um, your want to connect seasonal life to the community they're in, and this new um, idea to kind of go back to college for urban development. Um, what, what's the goal? what's what's Christian got in store for us? You know, what's what's the big thing you're driving towards? Because it sounds like there's something. Long term, I would definitely like to have my own land, uh, be more or less self-sufficient on a slightly larger scale if I could be involved in um, localizing food production in one way or the other. Um, kind of the idea I have at the moment is um, if you could work towards taking certain spaces within uh, more urban settings 
like old factories, old warehouses, old mills, uh, things that have gone out of usage over the last 40 or 50 years of, as businesses have left this country and, and things that like increasingly just become apartments, which is cool, but like, you know, what's good in an apartment if you can't feed the people that live within it. And if you can utilize these old spaces, transfer, the, um, you know, get the initial investment to, uh, switch over to utilizing renewable energy resources or, or, you know, uh, sustainable energy resources, for at least increasing the capacity for a community to provide for itself food-wise. And in a place like Ketchikan, uh, you know, where all the food comes from elsewhere, it's like, why is there no wild game story here? Why is there no place where hunters can bring food that they have hunted uh, and and kind of benefit the grander community and benefit themselves monetarily by doing so? And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think... Uh, or, or why aren't the canneries, or why is there no place using hydroponics or aquaponics here? I mean, the electricity can be provided for by hydroelectric power. It's like, you know, grow tomatoes and herbs here, and that's a big difference, you know, in its own way, uh, carving against a little bit of that fossil fuel usage. Um, but I was also discussing maybe starting up a tour company up here, so the just slightly ethical dilemmas that I have with food systems up here might be overcome with the fact that it is a really beautiful place where, you know, you can kind of make your own start. So what's going on with this, uh, this tour idea? The idea is basically to take all of the, um, the wild harvest thing I like to do and that a lot of folks up here enjoy doing. So, whether it's going out and getting like beach asparagus and bulk help and making pickles and stuff or uh, getting berries and, and making jams or baked goods or, you know, getting mushrooms this time of season. It's mushroom season, so chanterelles, bunch of chanterelles going chanterelles. And about a month and a half ago, the chicken on woods was everywhere. Um, yeah, I saw it. I saw it everywhere. I saw it over in Gravina. I saw it here. It was like a week and a half of it popping out everywhere. And then all of a sudden it just stopped popping up. And now you can find really old, 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 old chicken in the woods mushrooms. And it's the fuzzy sad. stuff. Yeah, where you realize that you missed out on a beautiful opportunity. At Carolina Lake, missed out hardcore. I found this spot where it's just like tons of really old chicken in the woods. It was pretty sad. Um, but yeah, I mean... You know, taking advantage of just all of this um, this bountiful harvest that's that's provided for us by uh, by Mother Nature and just in the variety and the, the amount and and just being able to get people out into that, let them experience harvesting it, let them experience some of the flavors of Alaska, and, and kind of giving them education on the importance of like, you know, not only be able to identify it and, and understanding when to harvest it and, and how to, you know, locate where it will be, which is important for harvesting, but also like responsible harvesting and, and things that will, you know, allow beach asparagus to keep coming back every season and things like that. You know, it's, uh, it's important to allow the resources to continue to reproduce. And there's going to be next year, the number of tourists is going to take a jump up and I'm sure the year after it's going to jump again. So this wild harvest tour is going to have, I think it's going to be well positioned in the market. Yeah. I, um, I mean, tons of folks coming in and, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of tour companies in town and, um, a lot of places to provide a lot of different experiences, which is cool. Like a catch can has a lot to offer. Uh, but I will, like, one thing I noticed is there's no place that really offers is, like, the opportunity to get a wild harvest. And, and I think also, you know, pairing it up with, like, you know, taking them on a hike while they go berry picking or taking them out on a skiff when they go out uh, to go get beach asparagus or, or bull kelp. Um, it kind of incorporates things that maybe other companies offer but don't offer in conjunction with that and maybe to the full extent that this will, so... I don't know. I'm excited. It would be cool. I only need like four to eight people per day of the thousands of the people that come in. So I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can get that. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some things that uh, 
you either see seasonals doing or that they should do more of that to really enjoy the place that they go that maybe they're not doing as much as they should? Um, well, it all depends. Like it, it definitely depends on where you're at. For instance, uh, wherever you go, experience the local food, experience what the locality has to offer in regards to, uh, to just resources available. So, uh, maybe in other places a little more plentiful and a little more self-sufficient. Um, but here, I mean, there's tons of stuff you can get. Like, if you spend a summer in Alaska and did not go berry picking, and and I've, you know, talked to people who, you know, it's like the last month of their summer in Alaska, and this is the first time they picked a berry, and I'm like, what are you doing with your existence? Go pick berries, like, go pick berries, go go find something out there that you can eat and just and especially for the berries, they're delicious. Go pick some berries, eat them, toss them in booze. We've got tons of them here. Yeah. To figure out which ones you like. Exactly. Like, there's there's so much that can be done, and there's so much that... Uh, eat the watermelon berries till you get sick. Yeah, eat the exactly. salals. Eat they're, the huckleberries. Eat the blueberries. So, yeah, they're there they're to be extracted. The grocery stores are expensive. And I, I remember having my roommate uh, this season. He is right around the time that the blueberries first started popping out. So, like, I think I picked my first blueberry that was ripe on July 4th. Um, so it was right around that first week or two of July and he went to Safeway and picked up a container of blueberries. And then like the next day was just like, why did I pick up those blueberries? There's so many blueberries around here. I go, exactly. Like you don't need to buy, you know, these blueberries that come from thousands of miles away. (laughs) You paid $5 an ounce for something you could have picked a pound of in 20 minutes. And that's the great thing with the mushrooms out here. It's like, you know, and, and I tell my tourists this all the time when I'm showing the mushrooms that, you know, you, you can harvest and eat. It's like, you know, an hour or two of being out in the woods and, you know, just being out in the woods, which is healthy and enjoyable. Um, you can hang out in the woods, pick some mushrooms, and you just, you know, saved five forty nine, I think, for organic uh, cremini or white button mushrooms at the store for eight ounces. So what's the uh, what's the biggest foraging score you found? Do you have like the monster? You know the like the fishermen have these giant fish stories. Do you have that one find that you made that you're like you came back to town and you're like holy shit I found the mother load. I mean in general I think I've got the hookup on a spot for beach asparagus. And uh, I feel comfortable saying this because when I shared it with, um, you know, Forged and Found founders, uh, Jim Brown, she was like, "Damn, this is a pretty fucking sweet spot." <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, it's. It's pretty. Uh, let's just say you could pick there for a while and not run out. So I think I've got the spot for beach asparagus. Um, I did have the season. Not sure if it's because the abnormal amount of sunshine, but. I had a day where I kind of popped into a random spot, uh, you know, where a tiny creek kind of fed out into the uh, the ocean from off of this island. Wasn't necessarily expecting to find a beach asparagus, but it was there, and that felt pretty solid. Um, outside of that, I don't know. There's been a couple of times finding that chicken in the woods when you find it. It's just so much of it. It just feels like you're you know, winning a lottery. Because it's always the ones I've seen each piece of it is at least as big as my hand. And there's usually five or six pieces all together. Yeah. And, and granted, like one thing that I discovered between my first and second time harvesting is the first time I harvested, I took like all of it. I took as much of the mushroom as I could get, you know, like all the fungus body. Uh, but it, with chicken in the woods, at least it doesn't cook well. Unless it's like a thinner portion already, like no matter how you slice it, for some reason the texture just uh, sucks with the thicker pieces. So I did realize with the chicken in the woods, you kind of want to harvest the outer portions, the softer, kind of softer, a little bit thinner, like, not the like conch like inner stuff. Yeah, that inner stuff you need to avoid. It just doesn't cook right. It you know, just texture wise, it's it's not 
not a pleasant experience. And, you know, I tried to cook it for like an hour in, in vegetable broth. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, if, <laughs> it if you can cook something like it's going to be a soup and it doesn't come out tasting tender, then there's something wrong with it. Yeah. So I might quickly realize this is a dumb question, but. What does Chicken of the Woods taste like? Not a dumb question. Um, <laughs> no, I, I looked it up because my feelings was that it does taste like chicken, which is why I guess the name Chicken of the Woods, obviously. Uh, but there's a, a large enough section of humanity that believes that Chicken of the Woods tastes like crab or lobster. Oh. That there is some debate as to whether it tastes like uh, chicken or crab or lobster. So um, That makes me wonder if there's some swath of humanity that thinks lobster mushrooms taste like chicken. I haven't tasted the lobster mushrooms, but I'm curious to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's interesting. But I mean, I would say chicken in the woods, regardless of uh, what the specific flavor is, it definitely has that like really meaty, just super texture, just texturally sound quality. You can put it with anything. It's really nice. I mean, it's... It's amazing finding things that are less expensive than what you find in stores, like literally free, and they taste better. They're so much better. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's the the growing uh, of them goes a long way there. Does the Chicken of the Woods have uh, the like the taste like uh, shiitake does? What is that? The sixth flavor? Unagi? Is that what it's called? U- umagi? Do you know what I'm talking about? Umami? Umami. There it is. Yeah. I remember seeing this weird quote about umami and basically it being like a a capacity for orgasm in the mouth or something like that. I could be wrong. That sounds right. (laughs) Whether it specifically has that, I mean, I think when handled properly, yeah, probably it's pretty fantastic. Um, but I would like to think that most food products, uh, if raised and grown properly and treated properly in the, the cooking pan, have that capacity for umami. I think, you know, it's like uh, blood or spirit in something. It's it's ethereal. So we've got Alaska looking and now tasting ethereal. Yeah, I will say that. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so speaking of uh, mushrooms, I know you have dabbled in the uh, psychedelic and otherwise area of Alaska as well. Marijuana, recreational, and whatever else is legal here. Um, what do you think? Because in the seasonal lifestyle, there is a large, larger than normal life, I think, a portion of drug use. What do you think are some of the good things that come out of it that you've seen in seasonal life? Um, that's an excellent question, and it kind of ties. What's interesting is seasonal life is, um, in many ways, let's talk about drugs and seasonals. That's it's the time of the podcast where we talk about that's drugs fair. and seasonals. Well, I was going to go the the combination of seasonal life and, and restaurants. In restaurants, you see a lot of drug usage. Uh, I think more towards the negative side than with seasonals. Um, as far as it goes, I mean. Pretty much ever since Trump took office, I haven't really felt comfortable tripping. Uh, the notion of, you know, contemplating the fact that he somehow became our president uh, while tripping and, and falling into like a wormhole is uh, a little nerve-wracking to me, so I haven't felt totally comfortable about it. Um, definitely dabble in the recreational marijuana up here, though. It's quite fantastic. A little expensive, but you get beyond that. Um but uh, as far as the, the the psychedelics go, I mean, I have thought about taking mushrooms up here. Certainly they are available and, and the options there and, and even available to harvest um, if you know what you're looking for, um, which is very important uh, since most psychedelic mushrooms have some degree of toxicity. Uh, you kind of want to know what you're looking for and how to prepare it. Um, but yeah, I mean, mushrooms are a beautiful thing. You always come out kind of feeling pure, like you went uh, swimming in some of the beautiful, cold, refreshing waters up here. Um, but you always come out kind of pure, and it can always kind of give you a nice alternate perspective on your situation, and I think that sort of suits the seasonal lifestyle. So I was 
I was on a hike at the Traverse uh, a few weeks ago, and someone gave me, I think, a quarter or a little bit of this mushroom chocolate. And it was, so the Traverse is a 14-mile hike along kind of the spine of the mountains from uh, the south side of the road on the island all the way to in, into town. Usually takes about nine, ten hours, depending on who you go with. And for about an hour and a half after after it set in, it was just these wonderful, nice thoughts, just really calm soothing, just really good thoughts the whole time. And it's, it's a really misty day. There's a lot of, uh, we're basically walking through a cloud and a lot of it and probably, probably 45 minutes into it. But by the time I realized this was, there was some mushroom effect going on in my brain. I I'm by myself, you know, we had, there's always kind of that part of the hike where you split up just naturally and you kind of have some alone time on the path and this, the mist is all around me. I can only see probably 30 yards away. And all of a sudden, this mountain goat comes out of the mist. And it looks at me. And I look at it. And I'm like, that's a mountain goat really close to me. And it probably looked at me and went, oh, that's a human really close to me. And it kind of just keeps walking, but slowly. Same route it was going, which was tangential to me. And he kept going, looked back one more time, and then just right back into the mist. And it was just, it was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, there's two stories that that brings to mind, too. Uh, one of which involves Alaska, one of which involves um, psychedelics. Uh, you know, I'm pretty fond of mountain goats. I think they're the coolest creatures, and that's definitely the coolest part about getting up into the upper highlands of certain places is if you can find mountain goats, they really are, like, the coolest creatures. Um, but I, uh, one of my first trips on LSD actually involved an extensive period in which I was staring at a cow and just staring right at it, and it was staring right at me, and I had this really magical moment with that cow. Um, just they're super calm and serene and, and there's something about that like you know they just kind of stare at you and just transfix you with their gaze um, but they seem so content with existence um, so I've had multiple instances of, of kind of tripping and, and kind of experienced that that gaze of an animal and, and that sort of like you know you're trying to understand them and maybe they're trying to understand you a little bit it's like communicating with an alien intelligence it's like what what's going on in its mind yeah and and um you know it's it's been really interesting like i said uh, kind of these experiences with the cows and and i've always find found it a a very relaxing sort of process it's it's just really yeah it gives you a different perspective of all the animals for sure to, to kind of get lost in and fix it thought while uh while watching them but yeah they they definitely they've got more going on than we expect and, and mountain goats are kind of like a, a special creature they, you know they only pop out here and there they're very shy and kind of like to hide and, and they don't normally make their appearance and so blatant they're really good at being in places that are completely inaccessible to us and that and that's what's uh what's so beautiful about them they're they are yeah, they they don't they're not there all the time. They're not. It's difficult to get bored of mountain goats because we don't see them often enough. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's how I look at. Them. It's kind of like you know the opposite of eagles. Like we see eagles so much that it's sometimes difficult to remember that. Like seeing eagles is exciting for people. Mountain goats are just really cool. <laughs> I've had um, actually quite a few friends visit this summer and. Uh, the last one that came up, my buddy Josh, he he pointed out, he's like, oh, there's there's an eagle as it flew over us. And I, I looked up and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's an eagle. <laughs> it's, you know, you go down to E.C. Phillips and you see 17 of them just munching on salmon. But, you know, you see them so often you kind of forget. And then it, I love having new people up here because it it reminds me of how beautiful and how great a lot of things up here are. And I, I looked up and I saw the eagle, wings spread, 
you know, everybody loves to say majestic. And it was. It, in that moment, I saw the eagle almost through new eyes. It was majestic. Alternately, I call the eagle the um, the Alaskan seagull and the Alaskan exclamation point. Um, the first name, because I remember being out in Juneau and just seeing them all the time. And people would always freak out. Like, oh, my God, look, there's an eagle, like, you know, pointing up. And, and they were just sitting on, like, a post. <laughs> Because that's what they do. They they're just here. They're they're there's ton of them. They're just here, uh, and you see them all the time. And it's easy to kind of overlook it because they are so abundant, which is a beautiful thing. They should be abundant. Like they should be this abundant elsewhere. It's working towards that, um, but they are just super abundant here. Um, but I also call them the Alaskan exclamation point because even though sometimes it's easy to get like kind of over it, you know, like. Uh, I remember in Juno, we there was a eagle's nest literally right next to the the porch of the place I lived in. And so these eagles would constantly fly in over that porch, like right over where we were living. And any time somebody like you were saying from out of town was in, they just like lost their shit over it. And we were just like, what? It's just what this eagle does. Like his home's over there. It makes sense. Like he's just <laughs> he's just driving home. Uh, but they're the Alaskan exclamation point because sometimes you'll be doing something like watching a sunset or out on a kayak or out on a hike. And, and you're just in this really beautiful moment where you, you're like, how can life get any better? And then like eagles fly overhead. And you're like, shit, that's how. Like somehow it makes it a little better. Yeah, I've never heard the eagle referred to as the exclamation point, but it, it makes perfect sense. I get it. That's a self-coined term. <laughs> Fantastic. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> so, Christian, what is, what is some advice that you have either towards prospective seasonal workers that are thinking about taking the plunge or maybe seasonal workers that are already in the thick of it um, that comes from some of the observations that you've made and maybe some of the situations that you've been through? Uh, well, to do my best to answer that question, to start off with, for people who are considering it, um, there's just a wealth of opportunity. It's really nerve-wracking initially. It's For some people, maybe it comes more comfortably, and, and I think for myself it comes comfortably to, you know, think of things in terms of month to month like you know all right i've got rent up to this month and after that i'll figure it out and and i kind of like to plan things but i'm also comfortable kind of living off the cuff uh for some people it might be kind of uncomfortable if they've never done it before it's like you know what do you do but if you're not in debt and all your concerns are month to month then you can really start to hone in on like what's important to you and and once you do that then you can start to hone in on like all right well if, you know, just having a place is important, then you can get a place in so many different ways and so many different places that that's where you start to realize the opportunities that open up. Um, so if you're not doing it and you're considering it, maybe you like traveling, maybe you just kind of want to experience something that's outside of the, you know, the, the norm, the, the, the stereotypical, I guess, uh, nine to five existence. There's just a wealth of opportunity. There's so many things to do, so many places to be, um, which is infinite variety. Um, that's definitely an option. Now, if you are seasonal or, or even pers- perspective seasonals, um, try to benefit the community that you're in. Um, I think one of the things this season especially I've struggled with is like, you know, being a catch can despite how much you might wild harvest, despite how much you might go out and try to find your own food or go fishing, like eventually you come to terms with reality of the fact that you live in Alaska. The nearest farm is God knows how far away. And the things that you order are coming from a very long, long ways off. And you can always so mu- know so much about where it's coming from. Uh, if you live in a place like Alaska or, or another place that's somewhat geographically isolated, you know, do your best to, to get from the local area. Try not to support, you know, large-scale corporate companies that are convenient and maybe make things easy for us, uh, but, you know, feed into cycles of waste and, and cycles of of external costs that, you know, come in the form of environmental uh, issues and, and social issues. Um uh, 
But I mean, really, if if you can, you know, there's certain places where everything's available. Just get it there. Don't feel like you need to get something from home just because, you know, it reminds you of home. Like, try something new. Just, just always be open to the opportunity of utilizing the world that you're in and specifically, and then also on a grander scale. Something um, I talked to somebody about recently was, you know, if you're bringing, if your idea of traveling is bringing home with you, um, you're not, you're not going to get all the awesome experiences you can out of it. You need to take yourself out of home and put yourself into this new place completely. I think that's similar to what you're saying. And it it really is an an important part of at least the way that I like to travel and the way that I've been rewarded traveling. I mean, and it it becomes really clear when you're doing stuff like ecotourism or or any sort of tourist work is like you're dealing with people who necessarily to some degree view travel and, and view new experiences in a totally different light than you do. Um, you know, for instance, when you're working at Catch Can in a travel company, you're ideally dealing, most likely dealing with somebody coming off a cruise ship. So they've already got kind of a different mentality when it comes to travel, a little more of a kind of a glancing approach, like a little bit of a superficial experience of different places, maybe a wide variety, uh, but just very small amounts of that wide variety. Kind of like getting a, a flight of beer, you know, like like eight two ounce containers as opposed to say, uh, you know, one sixteen ounce container, and and maybe there's benefits to both. But if you're going the one sixteen ounce container, get the most out of that sixteen ounces. Really, just you know, recognize that that sixteen ounces represents the capacity to get to know some place uh, more thoroughly than the person that's there only for two ounces so you have you have a blog where can we find your writing because i think you're well spoken well written i love our conversations i don't think we get enough of them but if somebody wants to read your words where can they find you uh nomadbillygoat.blog uh all of the above spell as you would imagine in their spaces or anything um yeah that's that's my blog. I am excited to see, hear about your winter coming up and definitely go on this wild harvest tour someday. And thanks for talking with me. My pleasure. Uh, I guess on a last note, you should also check out the article that will be eventually coming out on the Seasonless Online Publication, which is um, an excellent reading. Uh, just another part of the stellar combination of Seasonals offer, uh, offerings whether in the podcast or otherwise, and also with um, Pilgrim Magazine, which is a pretty sweet publication as well. So check that out. Check out Seasonals, and and thank you, Seasonals, for allowing me to do this. That's it. That's the episode. The Seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.